Before I lead us in prayer, uh, I just want to make, I want you to be aware of one thing. There is a group from Gracie Van that left yesterday um, under the leadership of Jeff Simons, um, who is trying to reach the entire nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ with a, through basketball. There is another group that is leaving tomorrow that is going to do medical work and construction work. I would love to ask you to stand, but everybody's standing. So there are two. There's, there's approximately 50 people from Gracie Van that will be in Guatemala uh, tomorrow, 20 of them are already there today, uh, approximately 50 people from Gracie Bay and they'll be in Guatemala tomorrow and next week, seeking to, um, uh, to alleviate some of the needs of the world and advance the cause of Jesus Christ. I wanted you to know that before I prayed, because I do want to mention them in prayer this morning. Let's pray together. Our Father, we recognize that worship is not something that we can perform in the flesh, and so that's why we sing. It is not because the the tune is harmonious. It's not because we particularly like uh, uh, the way it feels, but it's it's what it says. It is asked, we are asking, we are praying that the Spirit of the living God would descend upon us. And indeed we are. That's That's our thought, that's our hope, that's our trust that the Spirit of the living God would uh, descend upon both speaker and hearer, both pulpit and pew, and that what we accomplish here today will not be an hour spent in church, but it will be an hour spent in worship. We are designed to be worshipers, and that's what we long for, is a taste of the divine, a taste of the eternal, a taste of the heavenly. Grant us that, Father, knowing that it will never happen if we uh, try to gut it out or grit our teeth or through some kind of willpower, make it happen. It won't. So, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh upon us. Our Father, um, a, a large portion of our, of our family is um, now, or will be in the next 24 hours or so, in Guatemala. Their desire for going is not to have a vacation, uh, their desire is to uh, alleviate the needs of people who have far, 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 far less than we. The desire is to uh, extend mercy to uh, aching and hurting bodies. The desire is to uh, give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus Christ. The desire is to advance the gospel through something as perhaps uh, mundane as basketball. But, Father, all of it is designed with the hope that you'll be glorified. So use these people, Father. Use them um, in a significant way to advance something that's eternal. Keep them safe. Get them back to us. And give them a sense of vision. So scar their souls that they'll never be the same. Might another chunk of this congregation... Get a heart for the nations so that we might recognize to whom much has been given us, much is required. Father, we continue to pray for our nation. She is one that is adrift morally, um, so much so that we can promote at a state level the wedded union of two people of the same sex. We can encourage the killing of unborn babies. 
Oh God, what a grief that must be in heaven, and it is a grief to your people. And we pray that you will see fit to honor us with revival. That you would uh, touch the hearts of this nation, of the people of this nation, and bring us to the place where we repent and see the great um, blood-stained hands that we have. I pray for our leaders, Father, and I pray that you'll give us good leaders in the future, men that fear you, men that honor you. And for us as a church, Lord, we're not here to, um, to play at anything. We're not here to build reputations of anybody. We're not here, oh God, because it makes us feel better and because our consciences are less aching when we come to church. We've come because we want to get a glimpse afresh of the God who made us and then went on to redeem us in Christ Jesus. We give to that end, praying that every dime will be useful to you. We make our prayer, of course, in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen. Thank you. Take your Bibles, if you will, and open them with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to I'm gonna um, change my text. Actually, I'm not going to change it. I'm just going to add to it. I'm going to read the whole paragraph and just instead of reading the one verse. So go to Ephesians 5 with me. And then you follow as I read. Uh, you read. You follow in your copies of God's Word as I read to you. Beginning at verse 22. Ephesians 5.22, we'll read to the end of the chapter. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not taking, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, Let each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. My sermon this morning has somewhat of an odd origin, and I wanted to tell you about it before we get going too far. Several months ago, I want to say it was back in the fall, but I can't remember exactly. Several months ago, Richard Savory 
gave me a tape to listen to, which I did, because when Richard Savori gives you something to read or listen to, you need to do it. He reads great stuff, and he listens to great stuff, and so... Uh, I mean, he, he continues to give me this stream of good things to read and listen to, and, uh, I, and I welcome it from others as well. But Richard is always so uh, reliable in what he asked me to read and, and listen to. So he gave me this tape, and, uh, and I listened to it, and I liked it. But I, but I gave it back to him rather quickly because um, I was pretty much unmoved by it. Liked it but was pretty much unmoved by the tape. However, since that time, after I listened to that tape, I found myself in several situations. Um, marital counseling situations. You know, I don't, I don't claim to be a counselor, ladies and gentlemen. You know I don't, but... Um, I mean, I, I can't help you wander around and discover the hidden child of the past and all that. Business. I can't do that. But one thing at least I feel like I've got something to say over is in the area of marital issues. And so uh, probably 90% of what I do in terms of a counseling ministry is done over marital issues. Struggles that are going on between husbands and wives. And so... After I listened to that tape, I found myself in several of those. Several of those marital situations where um, the subject that we talked about in those marital counseling situations made me think of that tape. And the more marital pain I heard about the more I thought about that tape. And finally, after one such situation, I decided, all right, the topic that was on that tape in that sermon needs to be brought to this pulpit. And so I, I want you to know, I wanted you, to, I wanted you to make sure that the right person gets all the credit, and I'm, I'm not he. And, and much of my thinking this morning was shaped by what I heard on that tape. So that's where it came from. I wanted you to know that before we, we launch into this thing here. Now, gang, uh, if you've been around a while, you know that in the past, um, I, and any number of men will tell you, they, they, they kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, give me some grief about it, but... Um, I have used Mother's Day. Now, I know today's not Mother's Day. Today's Father's Day. But in the past, I have used Mother's Day as an opportunity to give a gift to women by speaking to men. Did you get that? I've used Mother's Day. And on Mother's Day, I've used it to give a gift to women by speaking to men. This morning, I'd like to reverse that. And I don't think I've ever done this. I, you know, somebody will, I'm sure, pull up a tape someplace in the deep recesses of, of the, my past. But I don't think I've done this. I, I, um, I want to use Father's Day, and I want to give a gift to men by speaking to women. 
Uh, you get that. I mean, uh, Mother's Day was normally reserved or has been used frequently to give a gift to women by speaking to men. But today, I want to give you the rest of the story. You know, the media makes us men out to be buffoons. And it's, um, it's easy to talk about how we men have failed women. I know that subject. I happen to be one of them. Uh, you know, one of those men who have failed women. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I is one. That, that's a pretty easy job. But this morning, I, I wanna, I wanna do the other side of that. I wanna balance, uh, that effort by taking Father's Day and using it to speak to women, and by so doing, give a Father's Day gift to the men. Got it? <laughs> now, before we get started, there are some rules. Gentlemen, there are some rules. Here are the rules. First of all, no elbows to the ribs. None of that. Rule number two, no mean-spirited glances at your spouse. None of that. We'll have none of that here. <laughs> and then thirdly, here's the, here's the third and final rule. Nobody is allowed to say something like, I told you so, in the car on the way home today. Those are the rules. Are we agreed? Everybody's got to observe the rules. Gang, we're partners. We're partners in this thing called marriage. And both of us want what is God's best for our marriage. Don't we? Don't we? I mean, that's pretty easy, isn't it? Don't we both want God's best for our marriage? Sure we do. So if that's true, or because we want the best, um, both of us are eager to hear everything that God has to say concerning this institution so that we might have God's best. Right? Because we want God's best... We're oh so eager and ready to listen to everything that God has to say concerning this institution so that we might have God's best. Right? Okay. Listen up. Here's my, here's my fundamental major premise of the morning. The, the fundamental, very, very mystical I'm not sure all of you are going to get it because it's very, very mystical. Here's my fundamental premise. Most couples get married because they love one another. <laughs> I mean, um, I don't think this happens where one person looks at another person and says, you know, I hate you and you hate me, so why don't we get married? I don't think that happens. I think we get into this thing because we love each other. Uh, we, we begin by thinking 
that there was no love like our love. So, I want you to go back with me to those, to those halcyon days of romantic bliss. And let's see if we can find, let's see if we can find where it was that we took a wrong turn. And that's not to suggest that everyone took a wrong turn. I know that some of you have perfect marriages. I, I, why don't you listen so that you can help somebody else? The neighbors or something. Um, but what I want to do is go back to those, that, that time where we were so convinced that we were so in love. And let's see... Um, if we can spot where we got off track. For some of us, it's just a little. And I want to suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, the best place to look is Ephesians chapter 5. You do know, don't you, that Ephesians chapter 5, the text that I read this morning, beginning at verse 22, is the New Testament's opus on marriage. It is, it is the largest portion of Scripture that I know about. I don't think there's any more. The largest portion of Scripture contained in the Bible directed at this institution known as marriage. There's a couple of others, but they're not this long. We're going to look at one more, the one that Peter wrote. But, but uh, this is written, of course, by Paul to give us a blueprint, a paradigm of marriage. And... and um, if you want to find out something about God's intention for this institution, a good place to go would be Ephesians chapter 5. Um, you know, guys, you've heard me say this before, and um, um, but I think it's such a good illustration, and it is original, so I love to use it again and again. But what I find uh, in so many instances in which I find myself, uh, people are putting together marriages and don't know exactly what it is they're trying to put together. It's like buying a jigsaw puzzle that has a thousand pieces, and you pour all those thousand people uh, pieces on the table and take the box top and throw it away. You got all these pieces out there spread out in front of you, and, and you don't even know what you're, you're, you're trying to produce. You know, in marriage, you got the, uh, you got the career piece, and you got the, um, you got the money piece, and you got the in-laws piece, and you got the sex piece, and, and you got the parenting piece, and you got all these pieces of marriage, and yet people are not sure as to what it's supposed to look like were we to get it together rightly. Here it is. Right there, ladies and gentlemen. You know, in... Um, in Tolstoy's um, famous novel, he wrote it, he wrote it in the 70s, um, Anna Karenina. Um, do you know how that, that book opens? It opens with this sentence. All happy families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. All happy families are alike, but each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. 
Well, I say this to you, ladies and gentlemen, that's probably uh, a very poignant truth. But the unhappiness began by a failure to observe this blueprint. And um, people are are observing it all over the world and don't even know it. Non-Christians have good marriages because unbeknownst to them, they're following a biblical pattern. Right there in Ephesians chapter 5. Well, I want you to look at it rather closely with me today, or actually, I want you to look at one verse, just one verse of it. I've called it Aretha Franklin's verse. And no, I'm not going to sing. Aretha was supposed to do special music for us this morning, but uh, she was precluded by terminal hiccups and couldn't be here. But um, I want to read you again what I considered my text. It's verse 33. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, comma, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, this very lengthy section on marriage closes with a very succinct statement leaving us with the two non-negotiables of marriage. Lengthy passage, somewhat of a summary comment in verse 33, and in it you find two non-negotiables of marriage. You know what non-negotiable means, don't you? It means you don't want to negotiate over these two. These two are fundamental, they're necessary, you, you ignore these two and you're, you're creating problems for yourself. They are two fundamental marital non-negotiables. The first one is, a directed, to, is directed to husbands. It says, let each one of you um, in particular so love his own wife as himself. That's the one that I want to suggest to you that we have covered before. We've covered it several times um, in, from this pulpit uh, concerning husbands loving their wives. Brothers, she needs you to love her. And because she needs you to love her, God commanded you to love her. Gang, love comes more naturally to women. Uh, women love by nature. And, uh, she's designed to love. She loves to love. But men, <laughs> we have to be commanded to love. And thus we are. I hope you know, gentlemen, that um, nowhere in the Bible is your wife ever commanded to love you. But we are commanded as men to love our wives. The Bible doesn't command women to love because it doesn't need to. And we're a different story. That is, we men are a different story. And the Bible knows us better than we know ourselves. Consequently, God commands us to love. That's non-negotiable number one. But it's non-negotiable number two that I want to spend the rest of my time on. And it is directed not at husbands, it is directed at wives. And it says, after the comma, and by the way, I'm going to do something that 
Don't you ever, don't do this. I'm going to insert a couple of words into this text. I'm just trying to make it clearer. They don't appear in the text. They're not in the Greek uh, original. I'm just going to insert them because I think for clarity's sake. Okay, that's all I'm going to do. So just, you can watch me as I do it. The last half of verse 33, and it says, And let the wife see to it. I inserted the to it. Same thing. Let the wife see, or let the wife see to it. That she respects her husband. Non-negotiable number two. Your husband needs you to respect him. And so he commanded you to. Ladies, (laughs) what, what would you think... What would you think if your husband came up to you this afternoon and says, Darling, I want you to know something, that I really respect you, but I don't love you. I mean, you would be devastated. And you'd run out of the room bawling, and you'd probably go call your mother and and wail over the phone to her. Well, the same devastation occurs, gang. When you, as a woman, look at your husband and you say, verbally or non-verbally, you say, Honey, I love you, but I don't respect you. The same devastation would be wrecked in our lives. We probably wouldn't run out of the room crying. We might call our mothers. <laughs> but... but Do you understand, if I turn to you as a wife and say, honey, I respect you, but I don't love you. It's the same thing as you saying to me, honey, I love you, but I don't respect you. I'm devastated. Ladies, the men in your life work from Monday through Friday in places where they may not be loved. That's okay. As long as they're respected. The the corporate America is not oiled. The The machinery of corporate America is not oiled by love. But it is oiled by respect. Your husbands, your, the men in your life can go to work five days a week. And they're not particularly concerned whether their folks around them love them, but they do want respect. But the place they want that the most is from you. Ladies, over the uh, Memorial Day weekend... Uh, actually, it was on Memorial Day, uh, May the 31st. The uh, Arts and Entertainment Channel had a, a special on uh, entitled Eisenhower, and my wife decided that we're going to watch the Eisenhower special. And um, Tom Selleck played Eisenhower, and, and it was really a, a story about the preparation for D-Day, uh, June 6th, 1944. And, 
And it was, it was, it was kind of captivating. I mean, I would have liked to see more about the, the, the invasion of Normandy, but it, it really, the whole movie had to do with the days leading up to uh, the decision to go ahead and launch D-Day on June the 4th. Well, um, again and again in that movie, Eisenhower was in, in situations where he was making decisions that he knew were going to cost men's lives. And, and it was moving how at least Tom Selleck presented him as to how seriously he took that. That is, I know the decisions that I'm going to make are going to cost men's lives. And he took that oh so seriously as the supreme commander of the Allied forces in World War II in the European theater. Complicating that was the fact that he had to deal with a couple of friends. One of them was Patton. You know, General George. And um, Patton had uh, done some stupid thing, and, and he had to call Patton in, and, and uh, Patton begged him, Ike, don't send me home. Please don't send me home. And, uh, and Ike decided, uh, okay, I, I, I mean, he worked it all out. I mean, Tom Selleck did a good job of looking at this guy who was playing General Patton and saying, you know, do you understand, George? I mean, it was drama at its best. But then, a little bit later in the movie, his roommate, that is Eisenhower's roommate from West Point. Eisenhower roomed with this guy at West Point. He had too much to drink. He blabbed his mouth as to when the invasion was going to begin at a local bar. He was arrested immediately. Ike's roommate. So Ike got in the Jeep, or got his guy to drive him in the Jeep, and went over to the jail to see this ex-roommate. Now, this guy's not a private. He's not a captain. He's not a sergeant. He's not a colonel. He's a general. That is Ike's buddy. And there's this moving scene as Ike is dealing with his ex-roommate. And this is not an exact quote. But this is close. He looks at his ex-roommate. And he's telling him that he's going to send him home. Right before the big one. The thing that men at West Point train for all their lives. And he looks at him and says... You know, we've had a wonderful relationship in the past. It has been fondly remembered by me and my families and all that. We've had this love-life relationship that is built. But whereas I can't ask you to love me, I must have you respect me. And he sent him home. Again and again and again, it came down to that for Eisenhower. They, they might not love me, but they must respect me. Ladies, men resonate with that. Do, do you know the name Pedro Martinez? <laughs> you know, I'm an ex-baseball player Pedro Martinez is a right-handed pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, and he's good. He's real good. But back in the ALCS last fall, the American League Championship Series, Don Zimmer, you know, the 
Don, 72-year-old Don Zimmer came after Pedro, and Pedro pushed him down. And, you know, all of America just was horrified that Pedro, although Don Zimmer did attack him. Um, I mean, all of America jumped on Pedro. And um, nobody particularly likes Pedro. Not every Boston Red Sox fans like Pedro. But when Pedro gets on the mound, everybody respects him. Even the Yankees. Pedro doesn't care if you love him. But he does care if you respect him. Guys, ladies, we men... We're not as emotionally well-rounded as you women. You do know that, don't you? We got a much later start than you did. Uh, you were told all your life that you could experience this full range of uh, emotions. We were told that some of those emotions, we weren't supposed to go there. We didn't start our emotional development until the early teens, if then. But folks... Um, you ladies need to know that we find loving more difficult than you. But respect. Respect is something that we traffic in. All of our lives, much of our lives, is spent trying to gain the respect of peers, co-workers, employees, etc., etc., we give it to other men, and we know, ladies, we know when you have contempt for us. Do you remember the garbage strike that was held here in Memphis? Everybody does. I mean, if you're a Memphian, you do. I, I, I want to say, I think I'm right here, but you can correct me after the service. I think it was 1968 when Martin Luther King was ultimately shot at the Lorraine Hotel and all. Do you remember those signs that the garbage workers carried down Main Street? Simple four-word message. I am a man. Would you like me to interpret that for you? It simply said, respect me. Ladies, if you have your doubts, I mean, if you're sitting there this morning and you're doubting as to whether or not this, what you're hearing is uh, true or whether this, all of it I'm saying is important, then I, I tell you what, turn to your husbands right now and ask him. Go ahead, ask him, is that how you feel? If you're, if you're not so sure, go ahead, right this minute, ask him. I'll wait on you. If you're not convinced... Just turn in the pew. Ask him if that's not the truth. I'll wait for you. I'll give you another test. This one, <laughs> this really came off the tape, but here's what you can do, ladies. Actually, this is not going to work so well because uh, this tape was spoken to all women. <laughs> and that, that, that give, gave him a, an advantage that I don't have, but... Um, uh, if, you're, if, you're, if your husband or your, the man in your life is not here, 
boy, you'll love this. I mean, you can use this one. But if your husband's here, this is kind of, it's not going to work so good. But here's what you do. One night this week, um, go into the living room or family room, wherever you find your husband, you know, um, wherever he is. You know, nothing particular going on. Maybe reading the paper or watching something, some inane uh, program on, on television. And when there's, when there's no real distraction, just um, maybe you can just say it from across the room. You don't even have to come to him and say it to us. I mean, just say, you know, darling, I've been thinking about you all day today. And I've been thinking about the, um, uh, the many ways that I respect you. And I just want you to know that I just, I, I have the utmost respect for you. And don't say another word. Walk out of the room and then see what happens. Just watch. Oh, wait, 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 wait. What is it that you just said? I mean, exactly what areas did you have in mind? How, how rare is that, ladies? How rare is it that you express your obedience to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33? You know, sisters, normally, how is it that a wife seeks to motivate her husband uh, once the wrong turn was made? You know, how does she seek to get him back on the track? Dialogue. Women like to dialogue their husband into peace or into pieces. And, um, and what does she do when that doesn't work? More dialogue. <laughs> I, I'm going to tell this on my wife and I, I think she'll take it rightly. Her father, who is a dear man, uh, he died of cancer in 1988. My kids called him Ho-Ho, and it had to do with Christmas celebrations. And, but we loved Ho-Ho, and Ho-Ho really is, was a very fine man. Um, I, I just really loved my father-in-law. He was a fine man. But, but anyway, uh, Susie told me that when she was a child, that her father, and he was kind of a meek and mild kind of guy, I just checked to see if I could go ahead with this. and she, <laughs> it, it looked like I got the green light, but <laughs> it's kind of iffy. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, her, her father would describe her as a child with one word, one word. And this is the word that he used to describe his daughter. Determined. And he said it just like that. You know, one, one man said that every time I get, a, get in a fight with my wife, she gets historical. And, and the, the guy who said that too says, no, wait, you know, I, I think you mean hysterical. He said, no, 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 I mean historical. She brings things from 30 years of marriage that she thinks that might clarify her position. The, the way that you want to right the ship is through dialogue. And when that doesn't work, more dialogue. And I know that, ladies, much of that's due to a design difference. And it's a glorious difference between male and between the genders. But do you realize 
the message that you're sending out just might be heard. You don't respect me. You have contempt for me. Now, ladies, I know one of the things that you're thinking. You might be thinking a lot, but I know one of the things that you're thinking. You're thinking, all right. All right, I'll I'll respect him. I'll I'll respect him, but he's got to earn it. You know, uh, if you don't feel it, uh, you don't have to show it. I mean, uh, uh, he's got to be worthy of respect for, for, for me to respect him. And, you know, I, I respect him in a lot of areas. There's just three or four areas where I don't respect him. You know, things like finances, parenting, planning for the future. You know, small things. You know, he's just a little off base on those things. Ladies, can we talk? You know what we're hearing? We're hearing. You have contempt for him. I want to suggest to you that this is the issue. I mean, what I mean by that is this. I'm, I, I think... That this issue of saying, well, I'll respect him as soon as he deserves it. I'll respect him as soon as he earns it. I'll respect him if he's worthy of it. I think that's the issue. I think the issue has to do, it comes down to, you can boil it down to, doing what God has asked and instructed and commanded you to do when you feel otherwise. I think that's the issue. It's not, a, it's not a matter of you not knowing that respect is needful. It's the idea that you're convinced that before you distribute any respect, somebody's going to have to earn it. I want you to know, my friends, that the message that you are broadcasting is very detrimental to marital health. Let me give you two Responses, then I'll quit. I mean, that is, I'm, I'm trying to address this issue in the, in the mind of a woman that says, I will respect him when he deserves it, when he earns it, when he's worthy for it. Let me give you two responses and I'm finished. Number one, ladies, is that the way you want to be loved? Do you want your husband to look at you and say, you know, darling... I'm going to love you as soon as you've earned it. Is that what you want? I don't think so. But that's what you're saying. I want my husband to obey God no matter what. But I don't necessarily need to do that. (laughs) You know, I'm a woman. That's the first comment. Here's the second one. And, and to, for this one, I want you to look in your Bibles at something with me. Go to the First Peter passage if you can find it real quick. First Peter 3. Um, it's right after Hebrews. 
think. Right after James. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. Let me read you these. Um, first of all, this is Peter's foray into the whole issue. And it's much briefer than Paul's. But it is also limited by one issue. That is, it's addressing only one issue. It is addressing this issue, and that is, what do I do as a wife if I'm married to a non-Christian man? That's the only issue this section is is addressing. But I, I hope you'll see my point in just a second. But understand that Peter is addressing women who had been converted and yet were living with men who uh, had not yet been converted. Wives, verse 1, 3, 1, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. Now, most of the time that you hear this text dealt with, here's what will be said to you women. It will be said, you see that without a word business? You know, clam up, women. You know, that's not my emphasis. That's what normally is said. When they observe your chaste in conduct, your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing... This is all so controversial. This stuff about, you know, fixing your hair and putting on gold earrings and all that business. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is a very precious in the sight of God. I'm not trying to demean it, but I'm just saying that's not my point. Now... Do you understand that this section is dealing with how does a converted woman live with an unconverted woman? That was a Freudian slip. An unconverted man. Obviously, that man doesn't deserve respect. He's not earned it. He's not worthy of it. He's a pagan. Now read on. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Here it is. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Ladies, do you know what this woman is being asked to do to her, un, her non-Christian, unconverted, don't deserve respect husband? You see what she's being told to do? She's being told. Call him Lord. Or respect. Ladies, this is the issue. The issue is not whether your husband deserves it. Or has earned it or is worthy of it. The issue is, it's a non-negotiable for marriage. And a piece of instruction that God has given to you. Will you obey it? You know, one of the reasons that workaholics exist is that men feel more respected by co-workers than they do the women who bore their children. I'm not applauding that. I'm not applauding workaholism. I'm simply explaining it. Who knows? Maybe that's where the wrong turn was taken in your marriage. Maybe it's the wrong turn for y'all. And there it is in in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. The good news is, 
You can change that. Marriage has two non-negotiables, ladies and gentlemen. Non-negotiables. A husband who obeys his God by loving his wife. And a wife who obeys her God by respecting her husband. R E S P E C T. Our Father, I pray that you will indeed use your word to remind us of that which is so important in the marital confine. And I pray that you will uh, use whatever truth you can to bring about not just healing, but health, everlasting, marital, blissful health. Oh, God, thank you for the kindnesses that you've shown to so many marriages in this room, including my own. And I pray that it will become contagious. More and more we'll find people who long to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ in their marriage. We commit ourselves to that and do so in the name of Christ Jesus.